Welcome to Evidence-Based Radio. As always, you can find this and previous shows as a podcast on your favorite podcatcher or via the website evidencebasederrata.com. Now, before we begin, I want to give you a small programming note. I have been struggling at late to make this show happen, as you might have noticed. Some of that is life getting in the way, but there's also been a bit of burnout. So I'm going to be mixing things up a bit. I'm going to be alternating weeks between more science-based news, as I usually present, and more historical stories, vignettes on lesser-known historical figures and events not necessarily directly tied to the history of science, just whatever interesting and fun things I'm reading about this week. Part of the thing is is that I am a voracious reader and there's all of these stories that I learn about that I kind of want to share with people and I don't really have that outlet necessarily on this show as it currently stands because it has a very specific format and I hope that this will both help me get the program done more often and also uh, be able to do more with it and be able to not just be focused on the latest science news. I'm definitely still going to be doing that. I'm still definitely interested in the latest science news and I hope that not doing it every week won't prevent me from telling you all of the really cool things that are going on. And I'm also working on a project that I hope will launch in late spring concerning climate change. Longtime listeners will know that I've often avoided the topic because it can just be so overwhelming, but I'm hoping to find a way to talk about it that is informative and action-oriented in collaboration with some other folks and not just focusing on the gloom and doom. So hopefully that will be coming out in late spring. And I would love to hear feedback. So please feel free to email me at evidencebasedradio at gmail.com and let me know if you uh, have any comments or suggestions, anything you'd like me to talk about. And I will try and get to those things. And yeah, so um, if you wanted to leave a comment and it's uh, a nice comment or a uh, well thought out and uh, articulate criticism, I might read it on the uh, show itself. So please feel free. Evidencebasedradio at gmail.com. So yeah, I think that this is going to be a good change and I think that it will help get the program kind of back on track. I felt like it's gone, uh, become a little bit uh, of a slog rather than a joy for me, which I would like it to be. So I hope that going forward, it will get even better. So we are going to talk about science tonight and we are going to be pulling from the bag of stories I didn't manage to get to last year. And so I do sometimes try and do themes 
And so this week's theme is ancient fossils, and some of them have pushed back timelines and others have solved mysteries. And we're going to talk about some uh, exciting fossils that are not dinosaurs. Um, obviously, I have done more than one program devoted so- solely to dinosaurs, and I have enough stories to do yet another, which I will at some point. But, you know, dinosaurs are not the only ancient fossils. And I think that it's a fun time to be able to talk about some other ancient fossils. And so we're going to start tonight with the story about an ancient lizard, a very ancient lizard, a lizard that is so old that it pushes back the origins of modern lizards and snakes by some 35 million years. Now, you may be unsurprised to find out that researchers found this textbook rewriting specimen hidden in a storage at the Natural History Museum of London. And so it was still encased in the rock and the rock had just been put into a box and it had been left in the storage. It was excavated from a quarry near Bristol in the 1950s and the box was mislabeled Clevisaurus and one other reptile. I suppose one other reptile could uh, be able to describe this lizard, but it didn't exactly make people want to jump to look at it apparently in the 50s. And so new analysis shows that the fossil lizard dates to around 202 million years ago. And so that would have been during the Upper Triassic. The remains include a partial skeleton with the vertebral column, pectoral girdle, and forelimbs all preserved, as well as the skull and mandibles. CT scans helped determine that the fossil is a type of squamata, the largest order of reptiles that includes lizards, snakes, and amphibians, which are legless lizards, also called worm lizards. Um, so if you've ever seen, there are these lizards, they look like giant worms, but they're actually lizards and they just have given up legs. <laughs> Seems to work for them. Now, previous work on squamate origins suggested estimates for the early Jurassic or around 185 million years from the fossil remains that had so far been found before this. And the late Triassic around 205 million years ago from molecular clock data. And so when they looked at those two, uh, sources of data together, they had a combined age range between 182 and 213 million years ago, which our fossil fits into. Now, the previous oldest squamate remains came from the middle Jurassic. Other lizard-like animals had previously been found in Triassic fossil beds, but none were related to the crown clade of squamata. And so the researchers define that as all living species plus their ancestors back to a last common ancestor with other forms of lizard. 
And so the fossil is small enough to fit in the palm of your hand and includes a 1.2 inch skull with a jaw full of sharp teeth, according to study co-author Michael Benton, a professor of vertebrate paleontology at the University of Bristol. Now, the ability to examine such a small specimen actually just wasn't available at the time it was discovered. So it's probably good that it sat in a box on a shelf in uh, the museum so that it wasn't accidentally damaged when trying to clean it with the lesser tools that were available uh, previous to the modern era. And so nowadays, though, we have non-invasive and advanced ways of imaging such objects. Traditional methods of cleaning using a needle just cause ha- caused havoc, and CT scanning reveals all the tiny details as well as hidden portions inside the rock and without damage, Benton said. We needed to see this level of detail of the skull bones to determine its detailed anatomy and make comparisons with modern and fossil forms. So using the information gathered from the CT scans, they were able to create a 3D reconstruction of the lizard, which they estimate would have been around 10 inches long. Half of that length would have consisted of a long, thin tail, which unfortunately wasn't preserved in the original fossil. But as noted, it also had a full set of sharp teeth, leading the researchers to name it Cryptoverinoides microlanius. And so the genus name means hidden and lizard-like, and the species name means small butcher, acknowledging both its long stay on a dusty shelf and its fierce bite. Um, So just as a side note, I am going to be saying a lot of genus and species names tonight, and I'm going to try my very best to pronounce them uh, properly. But uh, as you know, that is not always the easiest thing to do. So uh, just a note that I'm trying my hardest. And I have uh, looked up a bunch of things of how to pronounce them properly, because I do know that I'm sure there are people who listen who know how to pronounce something and it just, uh, you know, really (laughs) tweaks them when they hear someone mispronounce it. So I apologize uh, in advance. Okay. So during its lifetime, it would most likely have preyed on arthropods and small vertebrates on the limestone-rich islands that would have surrounded the area now occupied by the city of Bristol. And so, again, as noted, it pushes back the timeline for the development of squamate evolution some 30 million years. This actually helps better understand their evolution. A key question in modern biology is to understand the really successful groups, like squamates, lizards and snakes, with over 11,000 species, Benton said. How did they get so successful and how do they respond to climate change? So checking back in time, we need to know just when and where and how that huge modern group originated. 
our fossil now recalibrates the whole shebang and draws it back 35 million years. So that is pretty exciting. And again, I always stress how much of a theme this is of these fossils that have been excavated, uh, you know, decades ago, a century ago, that people eventually get to in order to re-examine them or examine them for the first time. And we find all of these really uh, incredible new facts about these groups. And I wish that there were more people who could go out and do that so we could learn more, uh, more quickly. And um, yeah, I think that's always such a cool thing to find something and bring it out into the light and have it actually change the way that we think about the science of those animals. Now, while our small butcher might have enjoyed feasting on arthropods, researchers in China have unearthed the remains of an arthropod with a fossilized brain, making it one of the oldest ever found. That's fossilized brains. We found other arthropods before. Now, the fossil worm is around 525 million years old, and the surprising shape of the preserved brain offers clues about the evolution of arthropods, which includes insects, arachnids, and crustaceans. And it could help solve a century-old mystery. The specimen named Cardiodictian cadenum Cadenellum was discovered in 1984 along with a cache of other fossils collectively known as Chengjiang fauna from a fossil bed in Yunnan province. The worm-like animal belongs to the phylum Lavopedia, a group of extinct C4-dwelling ancestral arthropods, with armored shells and short legs that were abundant during the Cambrian period. And this is 541 million to 485.4 million years ago. This is according to Live Science. This specimen has previously been studied, but was re-examined late last year and was found to not only have a preserved brain, but a preserved nervous system as well. To our knowledge, this is the oldest fossilized brain we know of so far, study lead author Nicholas Strassfeld, a neurobiologist at the University of Arizona in Tucson, said in a statement. It wasn't until recently that researchers started to look closer at fossils to look for preserved soft tissue remains. Until very recently, the common understanding was that brains don't fossilize. Study co-author Frank Hirth, an evolutionary neuroscientist at King's College London, said in a statement. He further noted that researchers previously would have never thought to look for a brain in such a small and old fossil. But in recent years, several fossils between 520 and 506 million years old 
have yielded preserved brain matter, including dozens of three-eyed sea creatures in the Burgess Shale, which I actually think I talked about at the time when they found that. Um, I went back and I looked at a picture of the, you know, artist's rendition of what they would have looked like, and it looked very familiar. Um, really, if you ever want to have some fun, definitely go and look up creatures uh, from the Cambrian. We're going to talk about the Cambrian a lot tonight, and some of them are just incredibly weird. And so not only was the finding was finding the brain itself a surprise, but it also had an unexpected shape and structure. The head and brain are both non-segmented, while the rest of the body is divided into segments. This anatomy was completely unexpected, Strausfield said. For more than a century, researchers had assumed that ancestral arthropods would have had segmented brains and heads in the way that modern arthropods do. And in fact, most of the other ancient arthropod ancestors have been found, that have been found also display segmented heads and brains. And not only was the brain a surprise, but the creature, again, had ganglia running through the segmented body. So it had a nervous system as well as the brain case itself or the brain matter itself. Researchers now believe that the segmented head and brain of modern arthropods may have evolved separately from the rest of the nervous system, which most likely became segmented first, given that the brain and segmented ventral nervous system seem distinct in this specimen. So that uh, ventral nervous system already had segments because the creature had segments, but the brain was still one intact um, set of lobes. Now, despite the obvious differences, the researchers note that the brains still share some key similarities with modern arthropod brains. For instance, having three cephalic domains with each domain aligned with one of three components of the foregut and with a pair of head appendages, suggesting the quote-unquote basic brain plan hasn't changed too drastically in the last half billion years, notes Strassfield. And so, yeah, it's really interesting to find those unexpected fossils where suddenly you have a creature that defies your expectation. And so that is really cool. And uh, it's so amazing. Like, the fossil is probably, I didn't catch exactly how big it is, I apologize, but it's very small. It's probably only a few inches long. And so to be able to image a brain and nervous system in a fossil that is so small, like the amount of preservation is breathtaking. It is we, you know, have found a lot more in recent years, but it's still, I've talked before and um, I assume most of you are pretty clear on the fact that even creating a fossil to begin with of, you know, really hard parts of a skeleton like teeth and jaws and other skeletal 
um, parts of the body that is hard to begin with because you have to have the right kinds of conditions. And then for the exact right kinds of conditions to happen in order to preserve soft tissue, I mean, it's not surprising that people uh, before really recently weren't looking for it because it's feels very intuitive that it would not be there. And yet we have continued to re-examine fossils to find new fossils that have this soft tissue preservation and it's really exciting. So let's talk about another set of Cambrian fossils from Yunnan's fossil bed that have once again been re-examined and found this particular set to be uh, having been inhabited by ancestors of modern jellyfish. And so over 500 million years ago, invertebrates in the Cambrian Sea evolved a new design, external skeletons. But while those skeletal tubes remained, it was, again, once once again assumed that the animal's soft bodies would have left no trace. But examination has revealed at least one of the organisms that would have survived in this new form. Now, we've talked a little bit already about the Cambrian explosion, but um, it just really featured... Uh, animals that have had never been seen before and probably will never be seen again in any way, shape, or form. Uh, The body plans were wild. Uh, There are a bunch of animals that you can't, it's really hard to tell whether or not they were a plant or an animal. Uh, And for instance, they sport names like Hallucigenia um, and Anomalocaris, which means abnormal shrimp, uh, which is one of my personal favorites. And uh, as we noted, many feature three eyes, five eyes, seven eyes. Nature was trying everything out at this point. Uh, All of the basic body plans, it was trying things out, discarding them. Um, During this time, uh, trilobites were swimming throughout the ocean and basically everything was in the ocean at this point uh, still. And so just to make the point, though, when we say Cambrian explosion, we mean that they o- evolved over the span of 20 to 30 million years, uh, which is an explosion on the geological timescale, but not necessarily, not actually the human time scale. And so usually this would take hundreds of millions of years, but for some reason, uh, it was just the right conditions for rapid evolution of different body plans and testing out different things that, um, you know, evolution was trying to decide uh, what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. And of course, when I say that, that's completely, you know, anthropomorphizing evolution is not directed in any way. It's just uh, easy shorthand for what was going on. And uh, so for a long time, we thought that these were their own distinct and extinct forms of life. So we used to think that the Cambrian explosion happened, all of these weird things came about, they all died off, and then basically evolution started over. But we now believe that most of these 
distantly are distantly related to modern mollusks and crustaceans. Now, early calcium-reinforced skeleton tubes became a go-to evolutionary step for multiple groups across a span of around 50 million years. The structures provided protection for everything from segmented ancestors of earthworms to bizarre ancient relatives of tardigrades. Fan favorite? But as we've talked about, soft tissues tend to decay away, notes Xiaoya Ma, an invertebrate paleontologist at Yunnan University in China and co-author of a study describing the findings. Thus, trying to figure out what once lived inside these tubes provides proved quite difficult, as each could potentially hold several distinct species. But late last year, a study in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society B by an international team of researchers outlined their examination of four extremely well-preserved Cambrian fossils from this deposit. The 514 million year old fossils are called Gangtucunia aspera and feature soft tissue impressions that allowed the researchers to determine that the animals were actually ancestors of modern jellyfish. And so they may not be direct ancestors, but they have the same body plan and um, features of modern jellyfish. So not only are soft-bodied animals hard to find in the fossil record in general, but jellyfish are almost never preserved. And I think that makes a lot of sense uh, considering what they're made of and uh, the fact that they're a preferred uh, meal for a lot of other animals in the ocean. This fossil was a double whammy in terms of rarity, Luke Perry, a paleobiologist at the University of Oxford and a co-author of the study, uh, exclaimed. The fossils were discovered by lead study author Guangzhou Zhang, Ma's graduate student, and are so well-preserved that you can discern the animal's internal organs once again. So, so cool. The mouth was surrounded by a ring of tentacles, each around 0.2 inches or 5 millimeters long. They also featured a sac-like gut with just one opening. These features led to the fossils being classified in the phylum Cnidaria, which includes modern-day jellyfish, corals, and sea anemones. It supersedes an older theory that the skeletons belong to an annelid worm, which would have featured two gut openings. G. aspera most likely either hung out with one, an- with one end of its tube anchored to another member of its species in clusters, uh, kind of the way that tube worms do around a uh, hot um, black smoker these days. It's sort of like that, only the tubes were uh, hard and uh, calcium rich rather than, I don't think tube worm tubes are uh, rigid. I think they're soft, but they could have done that. Or 
The researchers suggest they might have been uh, tied to mobile creatures like trilobites, uh, hitching a ride on a trilobite, uh, which uh, were definitely abundant in the Cambrian Ocean. And so it would most likely have used its stinging tentacles to feed much like modern jellyfish polyps and have retreated into the tube when predators were near. In the present day, only one group of jellyfish larvae, Scyphosa, create exoskeletons. Cnidarians, like corals, retain their skeletons into adulthood, but these skeletons are built from calcium carbonate, and the ancient tombs were constructed of calcium phosphate, which is the same material used by vertebrates to create bone and teeth. Why did cnidarians switch from calcium phosphate to carbonate? Researchers aren't yet sure. One potential reason is that the environment before our current time was phosphorus-rich, Ma said. But they hope to have more answers in the future as their research continues, and they also expect to explore the genetic makeup of extant animals to see if there are clues there as well. Okay. It is time for us to take a break. You are listening to Evidence-Based Radio. And when we come back, we're going to talk about another century-old mystery that's been solved via a tiny little uh, fossil or several fossils. Outbreaks of whooping cough or pertussis are happening across the United States. This serious respiratory disease can be deadly for babies. By getting the whooping cough vaccine, called Tdap, during the third trimester of each pregnancy, women can pass antibodies to their babies to help protect them until they're old enough to receive their own vaccine. Learn more at cdc.gov pertussis pregnant. That's pertussis, P-E-R-T-U-S-S-I-S. Table of Contents is a weekly music program that assembles an assortment of songs and sounds of many genres and which may entail literally taking a random collection of musical sources off the shelf and giving them a turn on the table or spin in a CD or tape player. Each week presenting shows which can at times be organized orderly and at other times perhaps be not as much so, yet never dull. Tune in Friday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight on WXOJ LP, Northampton 103.3 FM. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hey, this is Wendy, host of Valley Free Radio's subculture music program, featuring new wave, post-punk, indie, and electronic music from the 70s to today. Join me every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on WXOJ, or stream it live from your favorite listening device at valleyfreeradio.org. In our polarizing political climate, it's become difficult to find shows willing to discuss, much less listen to, different points of view. Our job is to talk about things we hope you'll find interesting without all the shouting. To disagree without being disagreeable. 
to provide incisive factual commentary that cuts through the weekly spin cycle and aims to enlighten, not enrage, our listeners. So tune in for Civil Politics, Friday evenings at 7 here on Valley Free Radio or anytime at civilpoliticsradio.com. Okay, we are back. You are listening to Evidence-Based Radio. Now, another mystery has been a small arthropod called Tuzoya, discovered more than a century ago. Now, the animal would have swam close to the seafloor, and we didn't used to know what it would have looked like. But now, based on nearly a dozen well-preserved fossils, we know. And it turns out that Tuzoya would have looked like a taco. <laughs> so um, it would have looked like a um, a taco with the shell facing down towards the uh, towards the seafloor. To describe the creature, researchers combed through the invertebrate paleontology collection at the Royal Ontario Museum, or the ROM. There have been hundreds of specimens recorded worldwide, but once again, their soft tissue parts have been almost non-existent, and thus it was hard to tell what they would have looked like. Tuzui was widespread and found in China, Australia, the Czech Republic, and Canada. Alejandro Iscadero Lopez, the study's lead author and a doctoral candidate in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Toronto, noted, The 11 specimens we studied have small details, like the soft tissue of the carapace, that other remains lack. Individuals with eyes and legs are also hard to find. And so the description of these weird animals, which range in size from 0.3 to 7 inches, was published recently in the journal Royal Society Open Science. Now, the ROM has around 400 specimens of Tuzioi in the collection, but researchers focused on 11 arthropods with soft tissue preservation. Those were further reduced to four for the published studies. The specimens were found across Canada, including in British Columbia's Yoho National Park, part of the Burgess Shale, and Kootenay National Park. Finding soft tissues in the fossil record is not easy, Iscadero Lopez said. The carapace isn't like the hard shell of a clam, so finding one still intact is rare. Now, the team was lucky in that the area of Western Canada where the fossils were found was once layers of mud banks, which helped entomb and preserve the animals. And so that's what makes the Burgess Shale so amazing. And Burgess, the Burgess Shale is one of those, um, it's really a uh, Langerstadt, um, which I defined somewhere later on in the show, I believe. But uh, it's a German word for a really... Um, impressive uh, fossil bed. And so uh, there are only a few of them in the world and uh, the British Shale is definitely one of them. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> and they suspect that Tuzioi 
was a predator or scavenger that fed on the remains of small creatures on the seafloor. Likely it could flex its carapace outward as it moved in order to allow its legs to touch the ground and scuttle along the seafloor. So it would have been to sort of pull up the sides of the taco shell (laughs) in order to be able to actually walk around. These animals have been known for over a hundred years, but I have never seen the tails, eyes, and legs before, Iscadero Lopez said. I keep looking at the collection again and again, and it was unexpected to find all of these well-preserved soft materials years later. Um, And so, yeah, very exciting. Um, And it is just another one of those weird, weird Cambrian fossils. I can't stress enough how much you should like go and look up Cambrian animals uh, in like Google image search or something like that because they're crazy. Okay, so we are going to move slightly forward in time now and we are going to talk about a new shark-like fish fossil from 439 million years ago during the Silurian period. Now, the fossil has features that set its spark from any known vertebrate, according to the research. Set it apart, I believe. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, The fish is covered in spines and bony armor and is the oldest undisputed jawed vertebrate ever discovered. It's around 15 million years older than the oldest known jawed fish. This fossil comes from a different Chinese fossil bed. This one in the Rongxi Formation in Guizhou Province. The new fossil is called Fangxingshania Renovada, after the nearby Fangxingshan or Fanjing Mountain. Um, just as a note, uh, someone had written it as Fangjing Shan Mountain, but Shan is mountain. So that's kind of like saying ATM machine, because of course ATM stands for automatic teller machine. Um, just a little bit of nerd <laughs> there for you. And so the team gathered thousands of fossilized skeletal fragments, scales, and teeth from the site, and then carefully recreated what the ancient fish might have looked like. The results were published late last year in the journal Nature. The specimen belonged to a group of shark-like fish called acanthanodines, or spiny sharks, which feature spiny fins and bony plates covering their shoulder areas. On the evolutionary tree of fish, they are somewhere between the chondrichthians, which include modern sharks and rays, and the osteichthians, or bony fish. They have shark-like body plans, but their bony skin plates and skeletons are more similar to those of bony fish. The researchers suspect that F. Revenata, 
may be close to an undiscovered common ancestor of both groups of fish. The evolution of jawed fish is interesting to researchers because it was a major point of diversification within the vertebrates. The discovery will help researchers gain much needed information about the evolutionary steps leading to the origin of important vertebrate adaptations such as jaws, sensory systems, and paired appendages, said co-author Min Zhu, a paleontologist with the Chinese Academy of Sciences, in a statement, said in a statement. The fish is unique because the armor around its shoulders covers a greater area than in other acanthinodians and is fused to multiple spines. They also found that the spiny fins were covered in unusual teeth-like scales that the team suspect would fall out in clumps and regrow. Now, sharks have similar scales, but they don't get replaced in this manner. The fossilized bones show signs of resorption, a process where parts of bones or teeth break down and are later replaced, often during development. This level of hard tissue modification is unprecedented in chondriacthians, lead author, lead study author Plamen Andreev, a paleontologist at Qijing Normal University in China, said in a statement. It shows a greater than currently understood plasticity of how early mineralized skeletons developed and points to the evolutionary origins of modern skeletons, including those in humans, he added. Because, of course, these fish come before any land-dwelling animals. And so all of these uh, innovations in skeletal system eventually made its way down the evolutionary chain or up the evolutionary chain, whichever way you want to uh, phrase it, and became the basis for how the skeletons of all modern uh, vertebrates are developed. And so it turns out that this is just one of several fossils found in the Rongji formation. A separate study published in the journal Nature describes another new species of extinct jawed fish, Chiandos duplicus. However, this species is only represented by ancient teeth and scales, and so researchers are less certain about its place in the evolutionary tree. Slightly younger specimens were also described in separate publications. Jushanosteus mirabilis was an armored fish in the placoderm group. Shenacanthus vermiforis may have been a placoderm, but also shares similarities with some jawless fish, hence vermiforis, which means worm-like. And finally, Tugiopsis vividus belongs to the jawless fish group Geliopsids, known for having helmet-like shields on their heads. And this is, of course, according to the Chinese Academy of Sciences. 
the newly described species come together to change the landscape of knowledge about the evolution of jawed fishes. Previous research had suggested that the emergence and diversification of jawed fishes didn't begin until around 420 million years ago. But the new fossils suggest that jawed fishes were already diversifying around 20 million years before that. Until this point, we've picked up hints from fossils, scales, that the evolution of jawed fish occurred much earlier in the fossil record, but have not uncovered anything definite, study co-author Ivan Sampson, a vertebrate paleobiologist at the University of Birmingham in the UK, said in a statement, These are the first creatures that we would recognize today as fish-like. And they think that a common ancestor of the sharks, rays, and bony fish, also a jawed fish, may have lived some 455 million years ago. And so, yeah, that is very cool. Because, again, these are like foundational species in the vertebrate uh, evolutionary line. And so we're going to move forward again once more in time to a farm in England, which turned out recently to contain a treasure trove of Jurassic fossils from 183 million years ago. Now, this time the farm is located near Stroud, I believe. Uh, It's in the British Cotswolds, and it is normally grazed by a herd of English longhorn cows. But beneath the soil, they found a variety of well-preserved fossils from fish, ichthyosaurs, squids, insects, and other ancient animals from the early Jurassic period. The findings, 180 fossils in all, included the 3D remains of a Pachycormis, an extinct genus of ray-finned fishes. The fossil, embedded in a limestone nodule poking out of the clay, was so exceptionally preserved that soft tissue such as scales and even an eye was preserved. The 3D pose is so unusual that the researchers were taken aback. The closest analog we could think of was Big Mouth Billy Bass, said Neville Hollingsworth, a field geologist with the University of Birmingham, who discovered the site with his wife, Sally, a fossil preparator and the digs coordinator. The eyeball and socket were well-preserved. Usually with fossils, they're lying flat. But in this case, it was preserved in more than one dimension, and it looks like the fish is leaping out of the rock. Hollingsworth told Live Science. The specimen was so well preserved that the Hollingsworths contacted a company called Think C3D, which creates digital 3D models of fossils to create an interactive 3D image of the fish to help it be studied more closely. At the time these fishes lived, the region was submerged by a shallow tropical sea, with sediments likely helping preserve the fossils. Neville Hollingsworth described the Jurassic beds as slightly horizontal with layers of soft clay under a shell of harder limestone beds. When the fish died, they sank to the bottom of the sea bed, 
seabed, said fossil marine reptile specialist Dean Lomax, a visiting scientist at the University of Manchester in the UK and a member of the excavation group. As with other fossils, the minerals from the surrounding seabed continually replaced the original structure of the bones and teeth. In this case, the site shows that there was very little to no scavenging, so they must have been pretty rapidly buried by the sediment. As soon as they hit the seabed, they were covered over and protected immediately. A four-day dig allowed an eight-person team to excavate 262 feet across the farm, pulling back layers to reveal a small slice of geological time, Neville Hollingsworth said. Now, they found a variety of animals dating to the Toarchian age from 183 to 174 million years ago. Specimens include, include belemites, extinct squid-like cephalopods, ammonites, extinct shelled cephalopods, bivalves and snails, as well as, again, fish and ichthyosaurs. It's important that we can compare these fossils with other Tertian age fossil sites, not only in the UK, but also across Europe and potentially sites in America, Lomax said. For instance, there are specimens from the Strawberry Bank Lagerstata, an early, early Jurassic site in southern England. And again, a lagerstata is a German term that refers to a sedimentary layer with unusual occurrences of relatively well-preserved organic remains. <laughs> and so the team is working on uh, studying their finds and writing up their research. And in fact, some of the fossils are actually going on display at the Museum in the Park in Stroud. So if you're in Stroud, uh, you should be able to go and see some of the fossils that they found. And of course, England has always been a really rich source of marine fossils. Um, Mary Anning, uh, she spent her entire life finding ichthyosaurs and other marine animals because much of England is uh, built upon these limestone uh, foundations. And that limestone, of course, was created in the ocean before the oceans retreated. And so there are tons and tons of fossils in England from these tropical seas that once existed uh, millions of years ago. And so it's not really surprising that you can still uh, walk into your backyard and find a interesting fossil. Uh, it's not just hordes of uh, Viking gold. There are other things that you can find uh, under the soil in England. Okay, so that is a very cool uh, collection of fossil animals. But we have one more story, and we're going to switch from Animalia to uh, a plant species. 
And so specifically, we are talking about a 164 million year old flower bud fossil found in the Inner Mongolia region of China. And this, like some of our other friends tonight, pushes back the emergence of flowering plants into the Jurassic period. The specimen is 1.7 inches long and 8 and 0.8 inches wide and consists of a stem, a leafy branch, a bulbous fruit, and a tiny flower bud around 3 millimeters in size. The plant has been named Flora germinis jurassica. Until the discovery of this fossil, it was believed that only gynosperms or non-flowering plants flourished in the Jurassic. It was believed that flowering plants or angiosperms developed in the Cretaceous period. Many paleobotanists are surprised as it was as it is quite different from what is stated in books. Senior author Xin Wang, a researcher at Nanjing University, sorry, Nanjing Institute of Geology and Paleontology at the Chinese Academy of Sciences, noted. He added, but I am not so surprised. And that is because a previously described fossil found back in 2018 and placed in the genus Nanjinganthus, also found in China, is actually even older than this fossil at 174 million years old. But some researchers had argued that it was not a true angiosperm because the flowers were not complex enough to differentiate them from leafy structures grown by other gynosperms. Wang notes that flowers are, as you can imagine, hard to fossilize and thus can be hard to tell apart from other plant materials. But the new fossil has an undeniable flower bud and fruit and thus underscores the presence of angiosperms in the Jurassic and demands a rethinking of angiosperm evolution, the researchers wrote in a statement. And so Wang believes that several other known plant genera, including Nangigantus, Juraherba, Euhania, and several others could potentially also be angiosperms, but notes that without fossil evidence of flowers, we cannot know and they have to be assumed to be gynosperms because they evolved in the Jurassic. But if angiosperms were more common in the Jurassic, they would have been still highly uncommon and geographically isolated in comparison to the dominant gynosperms, and thus finding fossil remains would be unlikely. Juan also notes that F. Jurassica may be one of the first very first true angiosperms, and that it could be a link between more primitive forms like Nanjinganthus and true angiosperms that developed later in the Cretaceous. And so uh, basically, 
once the angiosperms developed, then there was a real diversification. And um, before that, you mostly had uh, tree ferns and a bunch of other uh, non-flowering plants that dominated. And once the flowering plants took over, um, I should have looked this up to, to know for certain, but I think that uh, angiosperms are now the dominant form of plant life on the planet. So uh, once it got going, it really got going. <laughs> and so, yeah. Okay. That is all the time we have for tonight to talk about all of these really cool fossils. And so I hope that you enjoyed and I hope that you will enjoy what uh, comes next week. You have been listening to Evidence-Based Radio. Evidence-Based Radio is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com. The theme song is Widgen by Bird Boy. Purchase the full song at smarturl.it slash birdboy.